Suze, I'm Tim, one of the pastors. Welcome to Emmaus Way. So, Suze, that song is the intro to a television show, right? The greatest television show ever. What show is it? Weeds. Weeds, that's right. That's where I, I, the, I will have to say, Weeds got really bizarre about season six, but I made it through four or five. But that's the Weeds song. Okay, now we know. We're, now we are located in the social moment here. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect for our series on faith and capitalism, all of those things. But hey, welcome to Emmaus Way. If you're new with us or haven't been in a long time, we're delighted to see you. Uh, like I said, I'm Tim, and um, Molly is out ill um, this week. Uh, she is uh, battling an infection that hit her, I think, Friday or Saturday, so we had to scramble a little bit. Ben's going to going to uh, do the dialogue tonight and continue what was a really good conversation. Uh, that was fantastic last Sunday, so we're delighted you're all back for that. But I'm going to turn it over to the kiddos. This is the part of our liturgy that the kids lead, uh, and I think last week was the first week with the song, right? Rody, was that? Or, yes. Yeah? Yes. Would you like me to lead it? Yes. <laughs> if you've not heard Rody sing before, you would know how ridiculous that question was. <laughs> Rody's gonna make it happen. Thanks, kiddos. What are y'all doing tonight, Brody? We are doing week two of Love Languages, so we're talking about gifts and physical touch. All right. And origami, I hear. And origami tonight, yes. Because Kendra's 
an outdoor in the playground. <laughs> Fantastic, guys. Well, a few quick announcements before we jump into the conversation tonight. We're delighted to have Suze with us, as, uh, as very often. It's great to have her. A um, few quick announcements. Mark, do you, do you have a, a quick sort of, you know, we have been deeply in prayer concern for one of the greatest little guys on earth who is uh, getting ready for a bone marrow transplant. So what's, what's the latest there, Marcus? Thoughtful, you guys in prayer in every way. I mean, there's this snow. The the path isn't clear at this point. I know how crazy. I mean, I I want to know what I'm doing the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week. And you guys are just reacting to something new every time. So we're very very thoughtful of that. But anyway, any other announcements? I just have one, I think. But anything else for the community? So here's mine. Um, so most of you guys know that Durham Can is one of our primary partnerships at Emmaus Way, along with the Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham, uh, which Ben, I've heard, is the executive director of that said organization. Um, but uh, but Can is in the middle of a cycle of two major campaigns: affordable housing, which we've had some unbelievable successes in, but that's continuing on. And then number two is a jobs campaign. Target, we hope, is about a thousand plus living wage jobs from uh, from Duke Health and Duke University and other things. So we're 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 moving down that path. It's a path that's been successfully piloted in Durham and Baltimore by a sister organization with Johns Hopkins. And so we're we're launching that campaign right now. And the way we do that, and this is the beauty of community organizing, is it always starts in the community, not in a plan. And so we want to do. Um, uh, what we call listening sessions in the community and get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 voices talking about their, their jobs needs and, and what could respond to those needs in our community. And so the way we want to do this is not just use our member organizations of which Durham, of which Emmaus Way is one of 35 of those organizations, but we want to hear voices outside our blueprint because we suspect that people who have struggled with jobs are, are wider than, than the kind of 35 churches and neighborhoods and people like that that are a part of this. So this Saturday, we're training people for holding a listening session. And what we'll do is to say that three people here signed up to do this. You might be partnered together to do a listening session in a certain community or a certain organization. So if you're interested in that training, it's from 10 to 1. Tim, E-Ruff, is that E-Ruff? Right, right. Yeah. And for us, 
part of the life at Emmaus Way is that we do listening sessions pretty regularly every couple years. To, it's part of kind of the leadership thing. So if you would like training in that, you could talk to Tim. You could talk to Sarah. Uh, I don't see Sarah here tonight. Or myself. And we've, we're targeting trying to get five people to that, to that training. So that's this Saturday. It's a skill set that's a pretty powerful one. I think one that you'll be able to use in a, all kinds of work settings and certainly in Emmaus Way. But uh, again, we're excited about that. We're very excited about continuing our conversation on economics tonight. You guys did a phenomenal job last week, and I'm sure in Molly's absence, we'll, we'll try to move the ball forward this week. But Suze, uh, thank you for, for leading us in, uh, in our, our musical part of our worship liturgy tonight. As we were talking about capitalism and what kind of songs we might want to sing this week, I thought I would really like to sing a song with you all about <clears throat> what it is to first love the lie before you let go of it. Son, I have swallowed the sun. 
Taking the long way round Thinking about how the water shaped How the water shaped I've been breathing dust Thinking about how the road has changed All the rules have changed
You guys are paying attention or not? I was. Sorry, that was mean. No, while I was paying attention to like these songs this week, during the week, and listening right there, I think yeah, there's just such great lead-ins, or continuations of the conversation we're having last week, lead-ins to the conversation I hope we can have together tonight. Like this notion that we might have fallen in love with a dark room, framed by the air that we breathe and our economic system that. We've been thinking about how the water shaped, how the water shaped. How do you how do you think about something like that? And then, yeah, this song, which I recommend, it's one of my favorite like songs that I learned at Emmaus Way. Sometimes you just got to do what you oughta, but sometimes you bring up water when the well is dry, which is, I think, some sense of what we're all hoping for and talking about faith and capitalism together. That somewhere in that well somewhere is water. So yeah, we're going to take another swing at that tonight. A little bit more about, yeah, Molly, just a couple more details. She said, could you just, she contracted a kidney infection that because she's immunosuppressed with lupus is just more serious than it would otherwise be. So she's been sort of down through the late week and basically on Friday they said, you will be on bed rest. And she said, but I'm a pastor. And they said, no. And so, you know, if you know Molly at all, like, yeah, you can imagine that dynamic. So, if her response to stuff is slower than usual, that's why. Um, naturally, she's all too eager to be here rather than in bed. So you, two things that she asked you might be in prayer for. One was that she can continue with her infusion, which is part of her regular lupus treatment on Tuesday, provided the infection does what it needs to do. She can get that taken care of. And the second, and this is for me, is that you would pray for James and the doctor's will to be done, so to speak, over the next five to seven days. Um, <laughs> Or I told her that, I said, like, just all of you drop her a text right now that says, mind your kidneys for goodness sake. <laughs> because I think that that would be a useful reminder. All that to say, 
going to try and help us continue this conversation together tonight. But first, as we often do, I invite you to pass the peace of Christ to each other. Uh, Greet someone you don't know. Say hello to someone you haven't seen in a while. There's some coffee back there. Uh, Yeah, and we'll call back together in just a few minutes. So, um, tonight I have, and I'm going to get my phone up here so I know what time it is at all times. Uh, I have the estimable task of continuing what we're planning as a four-week conversation on capitalism, the kingdom of God, and faith, and how all those things might fit together. Obviously, if you missed it last week, one of the things we said right away, it's a huge fraught topic. Um, I really couldn't imagine a better introduction than Molly sort of guided us through last week. I thought our conversation was really good. You can see some of the outcome of that on this lovely, you know, uh, uh, brain dump whiteboard up here. Um, And so I think... My hope tonight is just sort of keep that conversation going, and I hope I'll be hearing from a lot of you. So a quick recap, though, for those who are entering this sort of on week two. Um, We quickly uncovered how pervasively money and capitalism have intersected with our faith and our personal histories. We heard some inklings of that. We heard how we've come to understand this world and our place in it, how for many of us capitalism, money is entwined in those things very closely. Specific memories are just a sense that we're, we're playing on that field, so to speak. Um, and we, looking at our whiteboard brain dump, which I think most of you can see, at least somewhat, um, there's a lot of conflicting values that we talked about that popped up. This was not a sort of like value exercise, but you see a lot of values um, on, on capitalism as a thing, like implied up there. We've got this healthy, healthy competition, or is it about ascribing winners and losers. We've got this efficiency idea is up there. Exploitation is also up there. Efficient exploitation. (laughs) Uh, Individualism and then commodification, which, you know, was quickly applied to individuals under a capitalist system. We've got this freedom-loving alternative to capitalism. Someone mentioned that, like, growing up in that era. To communism, I'm sorry. Yeah, to communism versus capitalism v. capitalism. You know, it's a battle royale. So the freedom-loving alternative to to communism, for a long time, that was the narrative that was driving capitalism. But then we sort of emerged into this world in which uh, the the global neoliberalism that's come out of capitalism seems to be swallowing the earth, and and that binary seems very, very old. So, yeah, and then this fundamentally Christian idea that's up there versus um, something that might be anathema in some ways to the teachings of Jesus. So... All of that's up there, that tension, and then we brought that with us pretty close to the surface. And probably our most fundamental naming last week was the sense that, um, I think Christine, this was her, is that it's the color of air. It's, that's, that's what capitalism is. The thing that so captures our lives' imagination that it's hard to step out of, outside of it even long enough to get a good look at it, for better or ill, to even know what it is that we're breathing. And to be honest, even all that analysis can obscure just how much, for many of us, the stakes of this conversation are, are relatively low. Um, for most of us, we've been cast, predestined, as someone mentioned last week, uh, winners as winners and losers in the logic and the systems that capitalism spins out. It's the air that spills fresh and easy into our lungs. It breathe, we, get, we get full nourishment. The oxygen content is high for us as if... Or if you're a white or overeducated or middle class or generally privileged person, um, a critical speculative distance toward capitalism can be just one of the many luxuries that capitalism affords us. 
right? It's like, oh, we can hold it up. And so I think all of that we were sort of grappling with last week. And to the outcome saying, okay, well, what then is people of faith? People at Emmaus, we'd say we follow a captivating gospel. People seeking the breaking in of an alternative kingdom of God. What, how are we to grapple and hold these two things at the same time? Or replace one with the other or whatever formulation you want to come with. So some hopes we articulated last week. We wanted to just name the real exasperation or even hopelessness that comes out of trying to wrestle with the air that you breathe um, and to explore some ways that a capitalist imagination is maybe subtly intersected with our, even our imagination of the kingdom of God, with how we live our lives, with what a good life looks like, and even here at Emmaus Way, in our midst, like where, where are those assumptions? Where is that system playing itself out? And hopefully, especially in the next two weeks, but starting that way tonight, to try out, try on some ways of reshaping our imagination of our communal life, or our lives as individuals, as families, as people seeking after God. Uh, try and reshape those around some spaces and practices that could sustain an alternative atmosphere. If it's the air that we breathe, how could we generate, sustain an atmosphere that was distinct from the air of the capitalism around us? So that's kind of where we landed uh, at the end of last week. All that to say... What we want to do tonight, I think, what I'd like us to do is to go from the system focus we had last week, which I think is really good. We were right there. We had it. Um, and to sort of follow that down more into the intimate realities of our lives. To ask, where is the air meeting our lungs? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? How has that atmosphere filled in the spaces of our relationships, our communities, our weekly realities? Um, and yeah, I think... This is about as, I don't want to talk a heck of a lot more than this tonight. And, but just to transition us into that, this interesting quote um, from, uh, I basically sat down with Molly for an hour and she gave me everything she was thinking about and then I took it and that's, where, that's what you're getting. So one of the things that I read that she said, suggested was by this Reverend John Thornton, I think someone she might have known from Winston, and he's talking about desires and he's riffing off this idea um, that we, what we all want to end poverty, right? So we're all basically on the same page here. We just have to figure out the details, right? We all want the same thing. So here's a quote from him riffing on that. What people making that statement always, and usually annoyingly so, fail to represent is that while we might want the same one thing at an abstract level, we never have a desire in isolation from other desires. We're always weighing competing goals and hopes, striving to achieve some while suppressing others, we negotiate which desires we hope to fulfill and how we do so because life is complex and desires, politics, and personal commitments never work together in perfect harmony. Because of that, when it comes time to actually achieve those desires in the real world, to say fixing the problem of poverty, fixing the problem of capitalism, they end up looking almost completely different. So I imagine we could say the same of capitalism. If we have a desire to be less in its thrall or to find some better way of living it out amidst our faith and our notions of the kingdom, that there's probably a lot of competing desires at play. And that's kind of what I hope we'll tear open together uh, in the next little bit. So I'd ask then, as a sort of question into that, where do you notice capitalism at work in the intimate reality of your lives or our life together? Um, How is it shaping our desires, our lives, our relationships, our communities? Yeah, I throw that out to you. So I typically have a pretty critical perspective of capitalism. 
what I was hanging out with one of my friends from Ethiopia this past this yesterday, and it was really interesting. I knew someone who's like one of the hardest working people I know. Like we came here and started working at a gas station, making like eight bucks an hour, um, and it was really amazing to hear his story of how things that I would see as like very oppressive, like he was basically treated really, really poorly because of his accent at one of his jobs, and like because of, and I don't want to be capitalism, but because of the system, like he was able to go to HR and like win a lawsuit against, you know, and really help some of the people in his job understand like their oppression is absolutely inappropriate. Um, and then he, like, he went to school and now he's like high up in a role and like really doing very well for himself. And so it was cool to hear his experience of like how thankful and how happy he is, even though he's been through what I would consider like some really hard things here. Um, it's been cool to, to see him come and be like, in my country this wouldn't have happened. Like you wouldn't go from making $8 an hour to like $35 an hour in the span of a few years. Like, that isn't possible. Um, so, for my pessimistic self, I was like, wow. One, one, one plus point. Capitalism won. What I heard you say there was that you won a lawsuit and got education. And both of those things are either protections against capitalism or should be things that are like, universally funded and like not a business. So in some ways, I think that's a minus for capitalism. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Like, there's no, like, yeah. I mean, courts are being bought out by capitalism, but they're not supposed to be. First, I find myself... Um, being like not smothered but just like <clears throat> suffocating under this narrative the, the basic narrative that I think people it, it, it's what people buy into and it's, it supports cap the capitalist system and it's this idea as we hinted at last week but just that like oh just pursue your passion and go out there and do what you love and then You'll succeed, and you know people will, you know, um, applaud you. And like in reality, like like I and many of my friends are just suffering so much and don't know how to how to fix our situation. And so it feels like we're like, and, and plus with like Facebook and everything, it feels like I'm the exception to the rule. It's like I, oh, well, I'm doing something wrong because I'm not I'm not doing what I'm passionate about and making loads of money doing. Yes. Oh. <clears throat> Jim. Yeah. So since Ethiopia was mentioned, I've got <laughs> I've got two pictures from Ethiopia that I want to share that that um, are just little snippets of capitalism in that setting. I did some work there. I visited several times in Addis Ababa, and um, there are shoeshine boys that have blocks that they maintain as theirs. And uh, one morning when I was out taking photos, I saw a van dump a whole van load of shoeshine boys. They just came pouring out. I took a photo of them, they posed for me, and it's kind of um, all sitting on their little boxes. And I realized that and this is like Sykes, or, or no, it's, not Sykes. Oliver Twist. It's Oliver Twist, but who's the, um, trust with the Fagan, this is like Fagan. 
Fagin and, and his boys, he was sending them out to shine shoes, and then they were going to come back and give him money. So it, it made me think to have a very different perspective on getting my shoes shined. <laughs> um, then the other picture was being in a building, doing my global health business, and then looking out across the street, and there was another building that was going up with this scaffolding in front, and men on each level of the scaffolding and a pile of bricks down below, and they were passing them up, one over the other, um, up to the top, to break in that top floor. And the guy, that, the Ethiopian that I was working with, had gone through many stages of his life, coming out of working in the landfill and, and scavenging, and now was working in research, yeah. really done well, uh, said, I used to do that, um, you get paid $2 a day, and you lose your fingerprints. <laughs> That's not symbolic at all. And what was his, did he, oh, that was a neutral take from him. Yeah, he was just, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Good stories. More stories, more responses, like where is this, yeah, I'd say, Laura's right behind you, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> there was a report on uh, NPR the other day that was, they linked um, times of high economic growth to uh, uh, more, uh, higher mortality. So in times of recession, people live longer. Um, and that what they were kind of drawing, a, the conclusion of this study was that um, capitalism basically, it, it, it fires on people's lives, and it's like, it's a it's a it's parasitic to human life. Was was how I interpreted it in my very yeah yeah I can imagine that NPR NPR that was sort of like at the end they're like by the way so I I mean but the the point was just that in it, it was counterintuitive because you think in recessions people would be doing worse but for like actually living being an alive human um, you do better. Laura. I just wanted to share um, experience being a social worker in community mental health. And I've been working in Durham and kind of the Durham Chapel Hill area in mental health for about 10 years. And right before I graduated from college, um, North Carolina de like kind of deregulated their mental health system and privatized it so it became a for-profit business. And more efficient. Very efficient. Um, you know, and we you know, closed hospitals and things like that. Um, and so working in community mental health every year since then, um, I've seen, you know, companies kind of sprout up. I've seen, um, and then close down. I've seen uh, services get cut every year for folks who, are, who have mental illness or significant challenges. And we primarily serve folks who receive Medicaid or Health Choice, which is now, I don't know, on the chopping block. Um, and it's just really frustrating to see um, people's health and mental health become a, a business. And if you don't cut profit or if you don't um, see enough clients or if you don't, if this person isn't, you know, that doesn't meet all these criteria, they can't get assistance. But it's really about the bottom line. It's really about um, profit and, and money. And it's, it's really frustrating to see that happen. And it's and I think in Orange County and some of the counties that are underneath a mental health entity, um, 
they are under investigation for their multi-hundred-thousand-dollar CEO profits and really expensive board of director retreats and, wow, you know, people with, um, you know, who are living in poverty or who are experiencing mental health challenges are going, you know, with, without. So yeah. it's just a really stark I think, yeah, Laura, you're narrating that that sense of and starting work with a coalition, I feel like that similar sort of like you always feel on like the furthest um, concentric ring out from the way some of these systems impact people. And it like, it's like, a, like the, and we, we even, you do you do the kind of work that we're, we're engaged in, you talk about like, uh, what's, what's the word? Oh, geez, geez, geez. Uh, vicarious trauma, right? And so it's like, man, this is painful to me even to watch this taking place this many steps out. And how, how yeah, what must it be like to exist at the middle of that? I want to add one. I have one. And this was the first one that came to my mind, maybe because Suze was kind enough to suggest Pete Seeger's song. He, he did not write it for Weeds, but it was, it was very well. <laughs> every, every day, I get up and I go downstairs, or at some point, I'm going to look out the front door of my window. If you've been to my house, if you've been to my neighborhood, you might know that I look across the street and I see a red house and a yellow house and a blue house and a green house. And um, the ABC, local ABC affiliate, during the snow, they decided to come up and take drone footage of our neighborhood because it's beautiful. And you can see downtown and like there's all these beautiful homes arrayed and they're all like brightly colored and they have the white trim and they're you know they're craftsmen you know they're not cheap they're not like what Seeger's talking about surely right like they're they're like you know nice downtown urban you know you know people like Laura and I you know Laura doesn't live in my but folks like us live there but I cannot I cannot walk up my steps very often anymore without having some real sense of recognition that, man, like I'm walking into a notion of success and comfort and safety that I would want for everybody, but the fact that I, I, I haven't thought very carefully about how that system would work out that gives everybody in the city something exactly like what I enjoy. And yeah, I think Seeger's probably talking more about me even not having gone into business than I would like. So yeah. Any others? Either more personal, more corporate. Yeah, we got several. Clinton. Um, when I think about capitalism and my relationships, the place that it's actually the most entwined is with my family and particularly my children. Mm -hmm. um, my oldest child is adopted. We uh, tried for a very long time to have a kid and you know, because insurance is for-profit, you know, there's things that they'll pay for and things that they won't. And so that cost enough on its own, but when we um, finally got approved to adopt our, our son, um, it cost so much we had to take out a loan. We had jokes about someone's going to come repo our kid. Um, and there were days when that would have been okay. But... Um, <laughs> there were not. Um, but, like, the, the, the idea that like, and it still actually has affected us still today. Like, it, we got into so much debt through that that we still owe lots and lots of money. Um, it affects everything we do in terms of our spending. Um, and yet, I see capitalism already gets hooks deep in my children, uh, my, my oldest child. There's nowhere you can take him where he doesn't want you to buy something. Right? And I love him. And I want to. Man, 
I want to so bad. Um, we were at the museum, and he's like, Dad, just, I will anything, just buy me something. And first of all, like, how sad, right? How diseased is that? Um, and I couldn't, because I didn't have any money. You know, I have to get down to this level and be like, hey, we can't afford it. And it's, like, just capitalism is such a huge part of my relationship with my own kids, which is not something I appreciate or like. Um, it really, yeah, it makes me feel very disturbed on a daily basis. That's really powerful and well. So thank you, Connie. We had Emily and, was it Emily and Christine? Yeah, my, I don't really know if this even fits, but kind of like Ben was saying about thinking deeply, and a lot of people have talked about <coughs> think deeply about the sort of system that might be better or worse. Uh, I have this reaction to capitalism that is, like this is my reaction, is I know that efficiency is really harmful to some of the people in this world. Maybe I'll think about the people who make my clothes. So I will buy secondhand clothes. And my husband, who is much more thoughtful than I am, rightly so, accuses me that that is just complacency, that I am not making a difference, and that uh, if you really want to make a difference, you should think about a radical solution. But I accuse my husband of just thinking and not doing anything. <laughs> so, that's like, I mean, it's, like, it's not just like a petty tiff that we have, but it's kind of an ongoing the discussion about what to do about capitalism yeah. impacts my life on a very regular basis. If you... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't... I don't even need to introduce you to Joel McLean at this point. You know, like, if he walked in the room, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. He does not buy a Christine, follow up, yeah. So, I really enjoyed listening to last week and this week. Um, I think one of the places where this question of um, money and capitalism and values intersects with me um, is that my family... Like basically almost everybody in my family is an immigrant, um, as we know, or as many of you know, because my partner's an immigrant, which surprised me, but that's a different story. Um, so my parents love it. My parents love capitalism. My mom is Cuban, and my dad is Dominican, and they have seen the system provide more for their kids than they could have ever imagined, right? So my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, um, like she slept on the floor. The first time she slept in a bed was when she was 19. My dad, uh, she came to the States and sent money back for years. My dad didn't see his mother from age nine to age 16. He was a shoeshine boy. Uh, and cut canes with uh, machete. My mom came before, before Castro. Um, so before, before Cuba went the direction it did, but then after that, like, it's, it's been decades and decades and decades of people showing up magically, we're not really sure, on the front steps. People being incarcerated for years, people losing everything. So for them, in, 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 in the island, so for them, right, seeing their kids have college, I mean, they all, it, what's remarkable is everybody had college degrees, including my grandmothers, but having their kids have college degrees, everyone now has had, you know, my sister's gonna graduate in a week, from another degree, like everybody in my family has a story. So for them, 
this has been an opportunity that feels really profound. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a cultural anthropologist, and one of the things I'm, like, I think is so deadly in, globally, is um, how our economic system is set up to oppress. Right, so, so this issue of what capitalism is, and whether it's good, is a conversation non-stop in my family. Right, it's not some abstract thing, it's about personal history. And so, 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 right, so that's sort of one part of it, like how do you deal with like an immigrant journey in the midst of that? Um, and like, you know, my parents would talk about capitalism, I'll be like, you're just talking about a market, that's not necessarily capitalism. Like, capitalism is like what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get into like these technical details, and then they're like, it's about freedom. I'm like, that's not the same thing as an economy. Um, <laughs> communism. No, it's not. What's a communist country? Russia. Russia? What? You know what I mean? Like, these are conversations that you can imagine. Um, so that is held next to things like, now that I'm not in grad school anymore, I'm actually saving for retirement. And now that the, now that Wall Street's doing well, like, last month was a good month for me. Now, it wasn't, yeah, Billy, I'm a professor. It's Mars. <laughs> But I'm like, you know, like I'm gonna win from this tax cut. And I'm like, now I have like some offspring, right? And so like and all of a sudden it's like these questions of retirement. You know, all of these things are so implicated with one another. And I, I don't know how to sort it out, but it feels really personal. There's a hand over there. Yes, I saw that hand. <laughs> I'm literally in this country off the backs of people who were goods. Yeah. Yeah. But yet still, the reason I was able to get the education I got was because my dad could open his own business. Like how warped is that? Yeah. That the solution to the problem that literally affects people's physical and mental health to this day, let alone economic well-being and all sorts of other well-being that the solution is the problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it's the same, like I have a two-year-old. My retirement fund has never been more important in my mind, right? I'm like, I'm a professor. Like, I gotta keep this professor job so you can go to school. Because, well, not where I'm currently a professor, but a lot of places you go where I go and it's free and it's important because these same mechanisms, like the education is the mechanism and the jobs as maintaining. So it's like you're trying to maintain some sort of semblance of wellness within the very system that's making you sick. You know? That's right. Yeah, thank you so much. I just, both Christine and I'm, I'm totally blanking on your name, Alana. The, the naming of this system and how it sits on intimate realities, bodies, sits on bodies. The bodies of those we've never known, the bodies our culture is built on, the bodies of our children. I think that's what we're up against in trying to take this on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just love hearing everybody's stories, and I can definitely relate to this kind of like the immigrant experience and where my parents are coming from is that they saw America as the land of milk and honey. And yeah. so, like, for them, I think their focus wasn't just about their security, but like the security of their children. So it, it plays so much more into their emotional health. And mm -hmm. I'm like reminded so much about. The, the passage that Jesus talks about, how it's 
harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And like, not not to say that like having things or like money is inherently bad, but the fact that it's so easily distracting us from what the gospel is and what Christ calls us to in in our in our world, I think it's it's heartbreaking to see that some parents are more fearful of their children's financial security rather than their salvation. You know? <coughs> so yeah. I think that's like it's a delicate balance that a lot of parents try to walk and I'm seeing that now too as like I grow up. And we've been asked to make that choice, right? Salvation, sustenance. Let's inter- let's add this text in here because I think this last one really, really get. You're talking about Jesus and that. So, but someone. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's even in the midst of them, right? So somebody read us this Acts five one through sixteen. This very interesting text. those last people got cured, right? (laughs) (laughs) Poor Ananias and Sapphira, oh well. This is not an easy text. Um, And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. Yeah, it's like too long, don't read, right there, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we don't have a ton of time to pull this thing out, but I think that this text, you know, our notions, okay, where's the system sitting on the intimate realities of community, sitting on our assumptions of family and what success looks like for our children and our family? Yeah, sort of integrate this text into the conversation we'd be having. What, yeah, what's striking you in that context about this text? Yeah, Jim. Oh, sorry. Phil. Um. So one thing that struck me, especially the first part of the conversation, is 
of you know not wanting to do things because you know they cost money or because you know the man won't let us or you know whatever. And that was actually very antithetical to the department I was in. Like we did all kinds of crazy things, but sometimes it took a while, or just the sheer incompetence of our of our company sometimes over overwhelmed it. But there's, so there's this this feeling of like what can I get away with and stick it to the man? Um, There's a level, yeah, yeah. There's a level of abstraction or depersonalization. That what that's not present in this text, right? right. It's like we well, know Ananias. Sure, they tried to work that in the system. It did not work. Yeah, Marie. So I'm really struck by how it's a couple that does this, mm -hmm. um, and that. Um, what their little trick, how it may have benefited their children, um, and seemed like a financially wise decision. Um, obviously it wasn't, but I keep hearing that, and I think about that too, um, how we're all like, I hate this about the kids, and I'm in, I'm in the same position. Um, and throughout Throughout the evening, and especially in hearing um, the kind of like the anti-example, thinking about the anti-example of Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira. Um, I think it's both. Sapphira. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about um, an, an article that the writer and gay activist Minton Johnson wrote recently, and. Um, he is talking about these war stories from the 80s and 90s, um, the AIDS epidemic that he was able to survive, um, and how so much of so much of the fight was against like capitalism's fortress marriage and fortress family, and how we're just the incentives are like Ananias and Sapphira seems like really extreme, but like are all like kind of making those decisions. Um, I, I feel like I am with like my measly 401k and I'm like, oh, I have one now, I'm not poor anymore, this is amazing. Um, but it feels like I see myself like yeah. heading in that, if yeah. I don't make different choices, I'm going down that road more than yeah. that road, really. Yeah. Um, but he, he, he talks about how like, that the, the act, the act of, um, it's, and survivors and, and friends caring for one another was so like antithetical to the way we do family in capitalism and
We love you, Misha. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, it's not Christian to only put our families first. Basically, he, he's, a, he's a Christian, also, kind of. Uh, and he was saying, like, caring, caring for his community with AIDS felt like living out the gospel. It felt like doing the work and also experiencing the salvation of like, we are, we are transcending the system right now because we are living this life together. And um, this article wrote, like his, his prayer was like, Jesus, turn us all queer. And he's not <laughs> explicitly talking about sexuality there. He's like, let us like break through like, and so, so, so as a so as a married person, it's like very incentivized to like live fortress marriage, like interrogating like what that means. Like I, like I, yes, I have my husband and my family, and how do we pour our lives out um, into our community and and receive the help of our community in ways that capitalism says do not do that. That is not that is not smart. That is not financially wise. Um, just like if. And I think Sabira like would have made different decisions. It would have been less financially wise for them, but they would have seen life in a way that they were not able to. That'll preach. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm gonna pivot us towards something here, and I. But I think that that's that's so yes, and so many things stacked on top of things, right? Bringing in, like, is it Fenton Fenton Johnson? Fenton Johnson. It, yeah, send, make sure you send me that article and send Molly that article. Yeah, put it around the social. That would be great. Yeah, I'll give you my Harker's password so you can all read it. Oh, there you go. Wow, that all digged. Sister. But the things layered on things, and I think in the story, in that, in that article, the notion that when, if we are talking about coupling, heteronormativity, capitalism, our assumption, what we want for our children, what our children must, these things so quickly layer on each other to write us out of a logic of anything that looks like our best values, mm -hmm. and it, we give it away like that. I think that, I mean, I've heard this text preached some ways. I haven't heard it preached like that, but it seems to be right there. How can, how can I not read Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, maybe there's three of them, I don't know. Maybe. But... How can you not read that and go, right, oh, right, because I sold the thing, and I has all this money, and I'm just going to, like, sort of, you know, like, I, we got needs here, and my kids, and, and God says, no. There's something alternative being posed here, and I think what it gets us to is kind of the crux of this tension of what we're trying to grapple with in this series, which is, like, we... I don't know how we read this and think that we don't need to be about something different. Like... And so, yeah, one of the things Molly gave me to read was Willie Jennings' read on this text. And we've been talking a lot of Willie Jennings lately in, in dialogues, but in his take on this text, he goes straight at this notion of the couple, of the, of the, of the family unit, of the ways in which capitalism binds itself into those specific and intimate relationships and says the, story, the, the, the word of this story is that the community of Jesus confronts the couple with the new truth. You do not belong to us. We belong to you. And that God is present in the new community, untamed, controlled, desired. We're healing people. We're, stuff is happening. 
but that there's something new underway that is going to speak to the powers and principalities in ways that we don't get to be unaffected when we sell things and buy things and think about our kids. I think that's what we're trying to trace into the next two weeks. And what we talked about so far is saying at the macro level in one week and at the micro level, what are practices? What are, what are realities? What are examples that we can point to and say, I think I see there a glimpse of something that's different that feels like I can breathe that air and not feel toxicified by it. Whether it's capitalist air or communist air, whatever kind of air it is, it feels better going in and out of my lungs. That's what we're sort of after in this big conversation, not to name it and define it in two weeks, but to say like, as a community, isn't this what we're after? Isn't this what we're talking about? Isn't this what we're, isn't this what the apostles and the God is about in showing us Ananias and Sapphira? not winning at, at consumption. So yeah, that's kind of where we're headed. Um, the community of Jesus confronts the couple with a new truth. You belong to us. We do not belong to you. So the that we've constructed a notion that I'm bringing my family unit, I'm bringing my logic of like success, what, what's going well for us and mine, that the community of Jesus... That's an outgrowth of the community, not a flow into the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that'll be there for us to keep teasing out. And find examples, find things. I think that that's what we're trying to do together. You want to throw it in? Yeah, go ahead. So we're new. I'm just going to jump on in. Um, I'm really glad that we're we're joining in this conversation because um, I think whatever the answer is, it's complex and nuanced and not simplistic because... Um, as Christians, my husband and I our family, we've, we've gone kind of the alternative route of uh, that fundamentalism took us in, as Christians, and um, I think we were, whatever the answer is, the answer is not complete rejection, because I think we found, after being entrenched in that kind of fundamentalist perspective of just rejecting everything, that we found ourselves in a very unhealthy place, mm-hmm. and um, where we kind of pretty much thrown our brain out the window, and so I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, in this community which way the conversation goes, because it sounds like there's just um, people who care in this room, but people who have their brains in half. Um, <laughs> That's a high compliment. They <laughs> care about their brains, so it's not just to say, you know, there is no Santa Claus, there is no, you know, there is no all of these things that the, the world has said are good to just and, you know, so we lived by faith and where we raised our money and, and had no health care and had no support system. And that stuff's really good for your family, too. So the, I think that just the word of caution is not to just become completely communist and throw all that stuff you know, away. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And maybe something that we've never tasted before. And, uh, and that's the we don't get to live this out in an abstraction. We don't get to paint a community around ourselves that defends us from everything outside. Yeah, in isolation. Yeah, thank you. This is a fantastic idea. I mean, every good dialogue ends with like another 45 minutes somewhere, you know? So two more weeks on this. I want to invite Suze up to lead us into confession and absolution. I'm really grateful to her and the song she's put together for this week. <coughs> Uh, this song uh, was a song that I used to put on and like cr- 
cry into my pillow when I was a teenager. Um, and, you know, probably after listening to it for 15 years, um, and in the context of this conversation, I'm really uh, charmed by the way such a seemingly sad song that sounds a little bit like giving up, um, there's this kind of other side of giving up that I think we're gesturing towards that is not hopeless, but in fact, there's kind of like a leap of faith that is involved in some types of giving up things. Uh. Say goodbye to the old street that never cared much for you anyway. Different colored doorways you thought would let you in one day. Yeah. 
Say goodbye to the old building that never tried to know your name. Goodbye, 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 old friend. You won't be seeing me again. Goodbye to all the window panes shining in the sun. Close with that, we'd sing um, a little blessing from uh, our, our local Saint Heather McIntyre.
Kisus. Those last two songs, I want to cry at night to Patty Griffith. Uh, I mean, that, those, are, those turn instantly into prayer script as a part of this conversation. Thank you so, so very much for placing them this. this. Before I invite you to the table, one quick thing. I didn't say this. If you're new or you haven't been around in a while, over at the table there, there's a place to fill in some information and stuff because uh, Marie, I think, mentioned this, but we have a, a couple, one's a weekly list of what we're up to, and we have a social list that just people can, anybody can write into and say, I'm doing this or that, read this, do that. And so if you want to be a part of that, that's over there for you. So on Tuesday morning uh, at 9.30, I get a real pleasure every week of helping teach a class on critical theory. And if you know anything about critical theory, it's basically what kind of the economics of revolt from Marxism to a whole range of things, how it morphed over the last 50 to 60 years into good stuff from kind of a, 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 a type of critical thought that in some ways challenges overly broad assertions to things that I think are really important, like like queer theory and feminist theory and uh, critical race and, and all forms of kind of racial. It's, it's a, a beautiful journey of thought. And as a student sitting in classes like that or now having the privilege to teach them, um, it's really common to see two groups of people as a part of that, right? There's, sometimes there's this group that's kind of what I would call the, the mental masturbation of revolt. I mean, they're just going to just think about it, you know, and it's just going to be so pleasurable to, to, to think about uh, how horrible things are and how people's bodies have p- deeply been damaged. And in those groups are sometimes people who, like this conversation is a positionality conversation as well, because some people are, 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 have been historical losers based on where they were born, uh, how they're perceived to be, and others have not. And then there have been other groups, that, and this Tuesday group, uh, this class that I'm in now, are people who do things. It's really amazing. It's, it's a, a very diverse group of people, but they're all kind of in the fray, uh, responding to the things. In fact, the class is more to give them a framework to think about the things that they're already doing. And so in some ways, as we talk about this, we can land kind of in both of those positions. And it, it's hard to, to, to find ways to do things. Here's another quick thought is the system that we live in works so beautifully at time to time, right? I mean, think about this. Uh, I confess last week, I've confessed this all the time, it's so much easier for me to think critically about the economic system, but I don't like doing it quite so much for my kids because there are real costs to following these paths. Perhaps some of you guys who have little ones those age have heard this story before. Uh, We had two soccer players in our family that started from the daisy picking days all the way up to the higher levels of soccer. And there was a dad who was watching his kids play soccer and the poor four-year-olds were getting trashed by the crosstown four-year-olds. They were down seven, eight to four. They were just getting killed. He looked out and he saw his son who was just literally picking daisies and <laughs> waving to friends and being friendly. And, and that's how you lose in soccer, right? When you're a four-year-old, if you're not out there kind of kicking some butt, you're going to lose. And so he kind of grabbed this kid and pulled him over to the side. I know Will's done this. And he said, Look, losers in our family do not get Happy Meals. 
that kid was transformed into a beast, a paragon of soccer beauty. The beautiful game, there was no Brazilian that had anything on this kid. He dominated because a Happy Meal was at the end of that game. And when the game ended at 14 to 11 or 10,000 to uh, 9,000, you know, in like kids' soccer, he was a proud recipient of a Happy Meal. He got to even invite friends because his team was the winner's. Right? And so we all know that not only do we live in a world where it's easy to be abstract about these things, but some of the system that we live in works, especially if you know how to manipulate it. And I would suggest that probably everyone in this room can afford a Happy Meal and probably can afford to buy a whole team of soccer dervishing four-year-olds and Happy Meals. And so what do we do about this? Right? How do, how do we talk about a system that many of us have one in. And the key word, this is my table invitation for us today, is the word do. One of my greatest mistakes is I like to figure things out before I do anything about them, right? This is a community that's committed to action. We're committed to organizing. We're committed to peace work. We're committed to listening to each other and struggling with each other. And I just want to frame the table tonight in the reality that the table is not a nicety. It is an act of revolution. It is an act of economics. It is an act of community formation. It is an act of politic. When we come to this table, we are serving each other and we're saying, please imagine a different way a different way of provision. Please imagine a different way of living where you can't serve yourself, but you need to receive to others, you need to give to others. Please imagine a way where life does not live based on competition or comparison or winners and losers. And so for these few moments as we serve each other, we are doing the work of a different kind of imagination. And I would remind you of this, in the next couple weeks, one of the questions we're gonna ask is, what do you do? Because as I look at this room of marvelous people, people that I love, adore, some I'm getting to know, this is a group of people that are committed not to, let's just think about it, find a cocktail party where we're using the right words, but people who are committed to, with their actions, reasonably crafting a new system and people that are willing to hear the harsh and painful voices of people who have lost in a system that we live in. So I invite you now to pour the elements the way we do it as we break the bread uh, and, the, uh, and serve each other or the gluten-free crackers. We pour wine and juice. Uh, I will magically, magically make cups appear here in just a moment. Uh, but, uh, but we serve each other. We say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ uh, shed for you, or just the peace of, of God be with you. But we speak to each other. We listen to each other. We dream and imagine. So I invite you now to that act of imagining, listening, remembering, crying, and laughing with each other as part of the process of building a new economy, a new social, the thing that Jesus imagined and talked about all the time, and we so often say, oh, surely it can't be that. It can be. Join us at the table.